Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers on mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Good morning, church. Um, today's Bible reading is taken from Titus, Titus chapter 1, from verses 1 to 9. When I am done reading, I would say this is the word of the Lord. Kindly respond by saying, thank you very much. Titus chapter 1, verses 1 to 9. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness and the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time and which now at his appointed season, he has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God, our savior, to Titus, my true son in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Savior. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town, as I directed you. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been thought, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. This is the word of the Lord. I don't need you. <laughs> Morning, everyone. Uh, I did, I did, that wasn't loud enough. I, I thought I'm worthy of greeting, but let's try one more time. Morning, everyone. Yes, good. All right. So I'm seeing some faces that have returned, and I'm now not seeing some faces. Maybe they've gone somewhere. Um, but anyway, if you're your first time joining us, uh, we're really happy that you've come, and uh, we hope that your time with us will be a blessing. Uh, my name is Femi Oshunui, for those who are new, and um, really glad that you are here. Now, uh, as Lola said, this is a standalone sermon, but a very important sermon that we want to go through. Um, uh, from a very, very important passage of scripture. Thank you. Um, but I should start by telling you a little bit about um, my wife and I. You know, I was, I was thinking about that. Man, we've been married for 12 years. Uh, this happened because we're at, uh, I was at a parenting, our parenting affinity group, and I was asking somebody when they got married, and when they said that uh, it's been 12 years, I was like, wow, that's long ago. Then I realized, oh my God, when did I get married? It's 12 years. You know how we started? We met at a conference. 
We were at a conference. I noticed her, you know, uh, but she had noticed me first, obviously. Um, and so, so I, I noticed her. We, 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 she thought I was, a, I was an unserious guy. Eventually, I showed I was a spiritual guy. So we exchanged numbers. We were living in different cities. So we started talking. And as we were talking, you know, it was going and it was flowing. And so after like three months of talking, you know, and I was just enjoying it, I heard the question that every guy dreads hearing. You know what it is? Where is this going? Or what are we? But it was, where is this going? And I'm like, where is it going? It's going and it's flowing. As in, let's move with the thing, you know, and all of that. She asked me, so I eventually had to man up. And so I took a flight, went to Abuja, you know, and I asked her the question. And so we became official. And eventually, I traveled, went to study a little bit, and, but we were, still, we were still going on, everything was still fine, going and flowing. And then after like two plus years, the dreaded question came again. Where is this going? That one I entered into, uh, into like calamity because I told that where it was going and that where it was going was going to be three years from that time. And she had agreed. Only for her to return back to Nigeria and then said, if it is not going to happen soon, you can look for somebody else. Somebody said, devil is a liar. <laughs> My head quickly, you know, it readjusted. And so within four months, we were married. I think she asked me a question again, where are we going? There's nowhere else we are going. <laughs> we are now together. But you see, why she was asking that question, and for many of us who have heard that question, she was saying something that is really important. What is it? Is that our relationship at the time it was not defined, or at the time where we were sort of in limbo, it was in an unfinished state because it had not arrived at its destination. And many times we think that when we define relationships like that, we are actually taking away our freedom. It is true, it's taking away our freedom. It's taking away our freedom to misbehave. And the order that then comes is giving us the freedom to truly, securely, and focus in loving a particular person and that person to love us back. Am I talking to someone? You see, it happens individually, but it also happens corporately. Think about the uh, children of Israel. Most of us, when we read the book of uh, the, 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 the story of the book of, of the children of Israel, and we think, what is the most fundamental freedom event in the children of Israel's life? Which one? Eh? The delivery out of Egypt, right? And remember how that happened? God gave them 10 plagues. They broke the, you know, the Egyptians. They let them go. Eventually, they said, you're not going. Come back. And then they met them at the Red Sea. God punished them in the Red Sea, and they were free. That was Exodus 14 and Exodus 15. So these people are free, right? They are free, and in fact, they didn't have any structure. And since they didn't have any structure, I'm sure they were free to do any good thing. Have you read Exodus 16 and 17? It's about rebellion. When they had no structure, they were rebels. And in verse chapter 18, God then sorts out what was going on. You see, when I said they had no structure, well, they did have a structure, but the problem with the structure was that that structure was really the organogram of Israel at that time. It's one man at the top and like two million people below. So Moses was doing all the leadership work by himself. Until one day, his in-law, his father-in-law visited. May God give you a good father-in-law. The father-in-law called Jethro visited, and when he met Moses, he saw all that Moses was doing for the people, and he said, what is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around from morning till evening? Then Moses' father-in-law replied, what you are doing, somebody say it, is 
what you are doing is not good. He didn't just say it's foolish. He says, what you are doing what is not good. Then follow on, he says, you and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. Why could you die? And the children too, the people of Israel will die. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. And so Moses eventually implemented it. And what do you think came after? Well, it's the same thing. When people decide to stop living, right, in a relationship that is pointless, a relationship that is purposeless, and doesn't, they don't allow it to go to the place where it's meant to go, they actually rob themselves of a blessing. It is when they arrived at the marital destination that God then said, God blessed them, and he said, be fruitful and multiply. For many of you that are in long-standing relationships, you better, that's why you're not blessed. I'm just giving it to you now. Long-standing. Long-standing. I was long-standing. Hmm? Uh, te- if, if, you are, if you are in a relationship for 10 years and you have not married, it's now not that you are not blessed. You are, I won't use it, because uh, we, we are called to bless and not to, you to yeah. better wake up. So, it is there with the order that they now got the blessing. And the children of Israel, after this thing had been implemented, it is in Exodus 19, you started hearing precious words like this, you are my treasured possession. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests. You see, whilst they were still in a formless kind of organization, right, it was in an unfinished state. And as while it was in an unfinished state, there were blessings of God that could not come to them. So Paul looked at the church, she's in Crete. And what he told Titus, he says in verse 5, he says, I left you there, Titus, right, so that you may put what? in order what was left unfinished. That is, the churches that were there planted, they were blessed by God. Yes, everything was fine, but there was still something that was left unfinished. And I can tell you this, without that thing being put there, there was another level of blessing that those churches could not enter into. What was the thing that was missing? Left unfinished, and I want you to do what? Appoint Elders in every town. Listen, City Church, we've been going well for five, five years. God has blessed us. God has done many things. But I don't believe God is finished with us. I hope you heard what I said. I don't believe God is finished with us. In this state that we are, it has been wonderful. But God wants to put more structure into this church because I believe that God is going to take us to another level. And so what we are going to be doing sometime this year is we are going to appoint elders because some of the work here has been left unfinished. But before we do that, it's important for me to explain why it is important, why we actually believe in this, but also to take the principles that are there and also speak to us about this thing of leadership. And I pray that as we do so, the Lord will put things in order in this church, but the Lord will also bless us as well. I pray that we'll be enlightened so that we understand how God's church works. I pray that we'll be encouraged by the positive steps that will be taken in this church. I pray that we'll also be blessed by the benefits of these steps that we're taking, to which we all say what? And so we're going to be looking at this summer title, Putting the Church in Order, and we're going to be talking about this people called elders. And we'll consider this sermon under three headings. Who are they? How are they set up? And why do they do it? And I really, what I'm looking forward to is where we're going to pray at the end of this sermon because we're not just praying for them, we're also going to pray for ourselves. So who are they? How are they set up? And then why do they do it? Let's take the first one. Who are they? 
Now, anytime you think about leadership of people, you have to think leadership in two ways, function and position. Function and position. Let's start with position. You are a mother when you give birth. That's it. You are a mother of a child when you give birth. But that's the position. But the function is that you still have to nurture that child, right? Position and function. You are a football manager, right, when you are appointed. That's the position. But you function by managing the team. Amen. So we have functional leadership. We have positional leadership. And whenever you enter a church, the truth is there are many things to be done, many functions to be carried out, and you need people to respond to those functions. Many times you see that a church is not doing well because they don't have a lot of functional leadership. One of the things we've been blessed by in this church is that a lot of people step into when things need to be done. They just step into it without the need for any kind of title. You always need functional leadership in your organization, in your family, in your churches. Amen. But I should say this as well. Whilst it is true that you need functional leadership in all places, you also, at least in a church, there are certain kinds of leadership before they can even function, people can function in them, it requires an authoritative position. Should I say that again? It requires what? An authoritative position. Now, the moment I drop that word authoritative, people are already squirming because maybe some of us, like when we think about authority in church, you can think of a number of bad examples that you've seen on Facebook, on WhatsApp, or what have you, or maybe some of you have experienced. And the truth is, it is there. It is there. But turn to your neighbor and say, that the abuse of a thing does not invalidate the proper use. <laughs> the abuse of a thing does not invalidate its proper use. You see, Paul talks about the proper use of authority. He says it twice in the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and 2 Corinthians chapter 13. He says, the authority the Lord gave us for what? Building you up rather than tearing you down. First of all, that means it is possible to use authority to tear people down. God gave the authority and some people can use it to tear you down. No, that is absolutely true. You see it in the Bible and you see it in people's experiences. But the fact that they used it to tear people down does not mean that was its proper use. In fact, the proper use was there. It was authority given to people to do what? Build them up. And so what we have to be thinking about when we think about an authoritative position, when we talk about the governance of a church, you do need that. And the governance of a church is given to people and they are meant to use to it to build the people up. Are you following me? So with that in mind, when we talk about the governance of a church, I want to talk about different models that we know, and then I'll get to the final one. But let, let me talk about four different models that we know. So the first, well, well, let me say the four, and then we'll go through them. So we have the pastoral model, we have the um, uh, episcopal model, we have the monarchical model, we have the congregational model, all right? So let's talk about the first one, pastoral model. The pastoral model, let me see what it says, is the, when the decisive Governing authority resides in a single person in a local church. That is, when you think about the decisive governing questions, right? Who eventually takes it? Well, it resides in one person, and we are talking about a local church. That usually we we'll call pastor, senior pastor, all of that, right? That is pastoral rule, if you like. The second one is episcopal rule, right? Taken from the Greek word episcopos, which is usually people have translated into bishop. 
So that is when the decisive governing authority, right, in a church, well, resides in one person, and that person is over multiple churches that have pastoral rule. Did you get that? When you have multiple churches with pastoral rule, and there's somebody over that, usually they'll call that person the bishop. So you see that a lot, well, for instance, with the Anglican churches and Catholic churches and some Pentecostal churches. You have a bishop, sometimes some people call them over general overseers and, and things like that. The monarchical rule is sort of similar, but it was just an extension. It is when not decisive governing authority now, but absolute authority. You know what absolute authority is? You, you just say something against the man of God. Fire will meet you there. You can't question anything. It's absolute. It is regal. It is monarchical. It can be in a local church or it can be, right, in a group of churches. All right? So we have the pastoral, we have the episcopal, and then we have the monarchical. Now, many people, when they see these three, they say these three are open to abuse. And so all these single people, one man mentioned, this is not good. There is a better model. And the better model is what? Congregational. Aluta continua. It is the government of, by, for, oh, you are. how many of us want to see that in this church? If you want to see it, you can leave. <laughs> but congregational model puts the decisive governing authority in the members, not just people that attend, in the members of the church. So decisive, important decisions that need to be taken, the members have to have a membership meeting, and then they have a vote. Now, let me quickly say, it is true that the first three can be abused, but the, the number four, too, can also be, in fact, I have seen it this year alone, so the number four can be abused, because most of the time, when we talk about congregational rule, it's not just mob mentality. You, if you know anything about a mob, there's always one person that is leading the mob. So usually, with congregational rule, you actually have monarchical rule that is actually disguising itself. Go and think about co communism. Communism was meant to be for the people, wasn't it? But you always had this chairman, Chairman Mao, Stalin, right, Lenin. All of these people, they were the ones that were really leading. They were real monarchs, but they said that they were doing, they were, they were not kings, they were comrades. So there can be abuses in either side. Now, that's the thing with power, it can always be abused. And I do want to say that it's not because some people now go and start tweeting and doing all of these, right, there are good people that are there. Even when the ones that are monarchs, there are still good people that are there. But sometimes the problem, the abuse of a thing, is not just, it's not just because of people's heart. It's also because of an improper system. And so when you want to see the proper use, we have to have people who have the right heart, yes, but you also have to have the right system. So that's why I believe that what the Bible teaches is something called elder rule. And the elder rule is where the decisive governing authority resides in a group of elders in a local church in one or more locations. And that's what we believe here. So let's talk a little bit about it because I don't think a lot of people are familiar with eldership. And why, we, why is it that we are emphasizing it? Let me quickly give you a rundown. Just in New Testament history, I could start from the Old Testament, but we don't have time. In New Testament history, the church was born in Jerusalem, on the day of Pentecost. That was where. And the first church was the church in Jerusalem. And then you had church in Judea and Samaria. But about 10 years after, or maybe even before, another church was born, not in the Judea region, but in a Gentile region. It was called the church in Antioch. 
And very quickly, that church became very uh, attractive. The people in Jerusalem heard about it. And so when they heard about that church, you know, some people were sent there and all that, and the church started growing and growing. Then a prophet from Jerusalem went to visit that church. His name was Agabus. And Agabus prophesied that there was going to be a famine that was going to hit the entire Roman Empire. And so what we find is that it seems like in the Judean region where Jerusalem was and the Jerusalem church was, that they were more severely hit by that famine. So it says that the people in Antioch, they gathered now, this is Acts chapter 11. Uh, can you put that up? Acts chapter 11, verse 29. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for these brothers and sisters living in Judea. So the people in Antioch brought that thing together and they wanted to send it. And when they went to send it, who they sent it to? This they did, sending their gifts to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Who did they send the gifts to? This is the first mention of elders, New Testament elders in the church in the Bible. Now, notice, he just drops it there, the elders. He doesn't tell you about when the elders were put, if this was the first mention. He just assumes that they were there. And you see, there was a letter that was written, an epistle that was written around the same time. Probably the earliest epistle that was written was written by Jesus' half-brother, James, who became a significant leader in the Jerusalem church. James wrote to people, he called them exiles scattered all around. There were different churches he was writing to. Now, when he was writing to them, he said, look, if you have a situation in the church, where somebody is sick, you know what you should do? Is anyone sick among you, let them call for who? That's of the church, and they should pray for them. Now, these are written like at least about 10 years just after the church was born. What we see as he drops it, they don't try to explain who the elders are. He just assumes that there were elders in the church. Now, later, not too long later, still early in the life of the church, there was a theological debate that was going on. Because, you see, initially the church was planted among Jews, and when they were setting up churches, they still kept their Jewish customs. But then the churches started being planted among non-Jews called Gentiles. They never learned the Jewish customs in any case. So when they were giving their life to Jesus Christ, some of the Jews were like, hey, they should also practice Jewish customs. Then some of them, like Paul and Barnabas, said, no, they don't need to practice it. And so there was a huge debate. And so Paul and Barnabas had to go to Jerusalem. They were not going to set up the first church council, as it is known, to debate a theological matter. Of course, the apostles should be there because the apostles were the ones that were with Jesus. But were they the only ones there? Look at Acts chapter 15. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go to Jerusalem to see who? The apostles About this question. Verse 4. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the, verse 6, met to consider this question. They actually, the elders were also part of it. Have you noticed what's going on? The apostles in Jerusalem started the church, yes, but it seemed like they now started sharing leadership with the church, with the elders of the church. These weren't apostles. And this was so established that actually now, decades later, Paul now visits the church in Jerusalem again in Acts chapter 21. And notice what you see here. Very, very, uh, a very funny thing. When we arrived at Jerusalem, the brothers and sisters received us warmly. The next day, Paul and the rest of us went to see James and who? No more apostles. The apostles of Jesus Christ that met Jesus Christ were the initial founders of the church, the initial leaders of the church. But very quickly, what started to happen was they appointed elders and it's like the leadership of the church was now given to the elders. We may not have apostles in all places, but you cannot have a church where you don't have elders. 
This is why when Paul is saying, look, why do we exist? We all exist for the furtherance of the gospel. Paul, verse 1, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the furtherance of the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. That's the gospel. In the hope of eternal life, which God who does not lie promised before the beginning of time, and which now at his appointed season he has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior. Paul is saying, why am I called as an apostle? It's for the furtherance of the gospel. Why are you guys called as Christians? It's for the furtherance of the gospel. But Paul had a strategy that he actually used. He, in all places, he will preach the gospel, get converts. Then when he gets converts, he will plant a church. And then when he plants the church, he will appoint elders. And that's what he was telling Titus to do. Look at Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14, verse 21 to 23. This is Paul and Barnabas telling you their formula. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. In other words, they got who? Converts. They preached the gospel and they got converts. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom, they said. And verse 23, Paul and Barnabas did what? Elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they have put their trust. Are you guys getting it? To finish the work in the church, not only do you first preach the gospel, not only do you get converts, not only do you get people to actually follow you in the church, eventually you have to do what? Appoint elders. Now, but what do they do, these elders that we are talking about? Well, actually, they have other names. And that tells you what they do. Notice in verse 7, after verse 5, when it says appoint elders, verse 6, after it says appoint elders, it then says, an elder must be blameless, right? Faithful to his wife, a man whose children uh, believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. And look at verse 7. Since an overseer manages the household of God. I thought we were talking about elders. Yeah, the, another word for the elders is what? Overseers. That is the episcopal word that we get bishop from. An elder is actually a bishop. This is why I don't really think that the Bible will teach that you have a church, number of churches, and then you have pastors there, and then you have a bishop that is over. Because the bishop is actually an overseer, and the overseer will get to who that is. But you see that the elder is actually what? An overseer. Are we seeing that? Eh? Okay, all right. I just wanted to be sure I'm still talking to people here. The elder is an overseer. Now, one of them talks about who they are. That is, they are elders. They are spiritually mature. The other one talks about what they do. He says, since an overseer manages. So the elder is meant to manage the household of God. Here's another one, another name. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 2, Peter also refers to elders. He even says he, I'm an elder. See, look at what he said. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder. Then he now says this. Be shepherds of God's flock. Be what? Shepherds of God's flock. In other words, the elders are also what? They're also shepherds. Now, you now say, how about that word that we are all familiar with? Pastor, where does that one come into? Well, really, the pastor is pastor is really a generic term. Pastors are the ones are people who oversee flocks, right? But a pastor of sheep is called a shepherd. Do you understand? Right? So if you are calling a pastor, if you know you have a pastor, that means you are sheep. If you just call, if you just call, uh, sorry, uh, no, 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 actually, no, no, no. It means some of you can be goats, actually. <laughs> but Jesus did say that we will separate the sheep from. 
the goats. If you ask many pastors, they'll say, ah, that one there, sheep. Uh, queen, sheep. Uh, uh, let me see. Uh, Debo, sheep. Uh, uh, Yinka, sheep. Uh, Emmanuel, uh, let's keep going. All right, so... A pastor is really, and for some reason, that, that name stuck more than we, and it really doesn't matter. Some people want to say shepherd, some people want to say pastor. I think that the, the, the name pastor has actually come into the lexicon so we can take it. So here's the thing. I'm making the case that the elder is a, an overseer, and the overseer is what? A shepherd. Now, if you don't believe me, look at Acts chapter 20. We'll round it up with this. Acts chapter 20, Paul is going to, he, he has planted a church in Ephesus, he wants to see the elders of the church, so he tells them to come and meet him at a place called Miletus. So from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for who? The elders of the church. So after talking to them in verse 28, he's still talking to them. Listen to what he says. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you what? Be what? Now turn to your neighbor and say, elders of the church are also the overseers of the church. And the overseers of the church are also the pastors of the church. Are you following now? And you say, ah, well, what do they do? What, what do pastors do? Well, pastors, they shepherd the flock. What does shepherding mean? Does it, does it mean that they just, you know, look after the sheep, share their, their wool, all of those kind of things? Well, you should know. Well, you have to now take the biblical understanding of it. Who is the first shepherd and the main shepherd that we hear in the Bible? The Lord is what? My shepherd, I shall not want. So when God shepherds his people, yes, he's doing something in terms of caring for his people, but he's, he's putting his authority, the authority that he has to rule over his people to care for them. That's why in Psalm, uh, Psalm 80 verse 1, it says, Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who sit enthroned between the cherubim. One way that you refer to the, 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 the king of Israel was actually by a shepherd. David was a shepherd of Israel. Many times when he says that Israel were without a sheep, uh, were like sheep without a shepherd, he was talking about the king that was not there or a king that was irresponsible. Are you following me? Now, I'm not saying that pastors and elders are kings of the church, no. But I'm saying that there is a rule, there is a, an authority that is given to them that they are meant to use to build people up. Look at 1 Timothy 5 verse 17 in the ESV version. Listen to what it says. Let the elders who what? Rule well. So they're given that authority. Now again, it's an authority that they are meant to use to build people up, not to tear them down. Now somebody would then ask, eh, so with that, we are not elders now. All we are just meant to do is to keep quiet. Right? Believe me, most pastors would like you to do so. Uh, but I'm not that kind of pastor. Although, Lola, you need to keep quiet a little bit more. But now, here's the truth. I don't think, and as much as I've read the Bible, I think as, you, as much as you read the Bible throughout the New Testament, you will see that you don't have a silent congregation. Yes, the elders are given that authority, but it requires a level of involvement. The governance of a church, yes, ultimately decisions come into the elders, but it requires the involvement of all those who are members of that church. Now, exactly how that is meant to be done, the Bible doesn't spell it out. And so everyone has to think with the best, the best of their abilities and also the best leadership principles, how do we incorporate the people of God also in the governance of the church, whilst we say that the elders are given the ultimate 
what uh, the ultimate decision-making power. So I want you guys to see what we use here in City Church. We have something called the City Church Governance Pyramid, right? And it means that you can hold the elders to account in any way, and you can be everybody, even the people that come in here, can be in one way or the other, play their role, right, in account uh, keeping us accountable. So the first one at the first level is, if you are a visitor here, you can ask questions. Have you ever seen us do Q&A? Right? Anybody, whether, look, whether you are attending this church for the first time, you can say, why do you do this? Why do you do that? And we are meant to answer you as much as we have the answer. So visitors, our attendees, questions. All right, the next level, now you can be a visitor, but there's a difference between being a visitor and a member. A member actually goes through a process. You are actually committing, you're putting more skin in the game. Members can now do what we call expressions. That it is not just that, why is this going on here? You have a right to say, ah, what's going on? We don't like this. You can express yourself. Amen. If somebody that is a visitor expresses themselves like, thank you, and you don't have to come back. I was joking. <laughs> I was joking. Because my wife would say, you have started again. All right, expressions. Next level is those who will be lay leaders, whether gospel community leaders, whether unit heads, and all of that. Now, of course, you can't, you can't, we don't want to do what Moses did, right? So everybody now has a question. We'll be here from now till thy kingdom come. Everybody has something they want to express. We'll be here for thy kingdom come. So we have other leaders, lay leaders, gospel community leaders, unit heads, all of these things. Now they bring, they are representing what is going on with the people that they are leading. And so there's representation. Say, hey, this person said this thing, or I'm hearing this kind of thing, blah, blah. They are bringing that representation. Are you following? Then you have some more senior leaders, right? So, sort of like our deacons or our staff leaders who are so much more involved in the things of church. Right now, at this point, they are not just representing, but because of the wisdom that they have, because of the commitment that they have, these people are able to give even suggestions. And things, and it's actually our ear. Yeah, we listen a lot to it because, like, this person has skin in the game. This person has the experience. This person has all of these things, all right. And then finally, what with the elders, you have decisions. And so, what I'm trying to say here is this: it is not a sort of well, God gave us the authority. You cannot say anything. You must be saying something. You have to be involved in the governance of the church because a lot of times, whether it is your expression, whether it is your suggestion, sometimes it has moved our decision-making process because we may have been blind to certain things. Are you following me? Now, don't hear this now. I've not made a promise that every time you express something, that means we're going to change our mind. You know that's absolute foolishness, right? Because uh, 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 Ruby may be saying something, expressing her mind, and Toye can say the exact opposite. What should we do? Should we be schizophrenic? So sometimes all you need to express yourself is so that you can be heard. Sometimes when we are suggesting certain things, okay, what, what if we now say, we've considered what you suggested even before you brought it, but here are some of the problems. You don't say, hey, you see now, I've now I, I said my own, and now you don't want me to talk. No, let's be mature, amen? But we can be involved in it. So we have what? At, at, the, at the base level, we have what? Questions. Next level, we have what? Expressions. Next level, you have what? Representation, next level you have what? Suggestion, and the next level you have what? Decisions. Is that fine? All right, so that's who they are. Now let's talk about how they are set up. How does it now work, the eldership? How does it work? Now there are three characteristics of godly eldership that if they are to work well, need to be in place. The three things are this, plurality, diversity, and maturity. 
Let's say that together. Plurality, diversity, and maturity. So, first one, plurality. The ideal is always to have more than one elder. It is the ideal. Every time you see the, in the New Testament, you actually see, you don't see, just see the elder of a church, you see elders of a church. Now, I say it's the ideal because sometimes the church may be in infancy. So when Paul is telling Titus to actually appoint elders, that means that Titus was the lone leader at that point. But that was because they were church plants and they needed to move from infancy to maturity. Are you understanding? So there all should, always should be a plurality. You can see Paul writing to not just the, uh, to, to, to the leaders of the church in Philippi, in Philippi, uh, Philippians 1.1, and he says that the, to all God's holy people uh, in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers, not an overseer, and the deacons, all right? And we already have a plurality of deacons here, thank God, and they are not causing us any trouble. And in the name of Jesus, they will not cause us trouble. No, Faith didn't say amen. Okay, you said amen. Yeah, Femi, did you say amen? Deacon Femi, amen. Ah. All right, we're pausing the service. We need to have a prayer. This is the rebellion. You see, the spirit of Dathan and Abraham, I cast it out of you. No rebellion. Deacon Olubide. Oh, wow. Okay, we are still working on our deacons. We are still working. It's, 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 it's getting there. Where's Deacon Kemi? She's not here, but she's online. Type amen, Deacon K. Amen, amen. All right, you see, the women are always doing better. The men, I don't know what's going on. But the eldership, now, it is the eldership, not just the elder, the eldership that collectively lead the church. The eldership collectively lead the church. And the reason, part of the reason for this plurality is to stop something that we know often happens, even when people have good hearts. The truth is this. Corruption by power often is, is a result of a concentration of power. Corruption by power is often the result of concentration of power, even when people have good motives. When you concentrate power into the hand of one person, and let's be honest, this is Nigeria we're talking about. See, when you talk about power in Nigeria, there can be business power, right? This person is a mogul, yes, and people like that power. But above business power is actually political power, right? Business people go to political people. But above those ones, I do not magnify my office, but the truth is this, spiritual power and Ababa here. Because even politicians themselves, like when they see a demon, demon can be scattering you. It doesn't matter how many votes you have. You go and meet one man of God. Do you understand? And so when you have that kind of power, where you can just say something and everybody is moving, do you know what the concentration of that thing can do to a human being? At some point, you start becoming like God. That is why when Paul and Barnabas entered a particular place and the people went to sacrifice to them and say, ah, you are like God, they tore their robes and say, we are just like you people. Please don't put us in trouble. And what happens is after a while, people that start off well, the concentration of power, the lack of accountability eventually drives people astray. But when you have people who are at, at, at a, a level, a parity level, they can keep themselves accountable. That's why there's plurality there. Are we following? Now, but in that plurality, you also have diversity as well. And by diversity, I mean that not all of them necessarily do the same thing. You see, the mistake that we make is that when we hear the word pastor, we think of preacher. Preacher, pastor. So anytime anybody says that they are, anytime a preacher, you just say preacher, you just call them pastor. Now, a pastor, a preacher can be a pastor, but it's not necessarily the case that all pastors will be preachers. Are you following me? 
A preacher can be a pastor, but not all pastors will be what? Preachers. A preacher can be an elder, but not elders need to be preachers. Look at 1 Timothy 5 verse 17. Again, the elders who direct the affairs or who rule of the church, well, are worthy of double honor, that's respect and remuneration, especially those whose work is what? That means some of them will not preach and teach. Because the fundamental thing that a pastor does is the governance of, of the church. That's why we have here, we have some people who preach, but they are not necessarily pastors. Tommy is not yet an elder in this church. Are you following me? So elders are given for the governance of the church. Some of them will preach and some of them will teach. But there is a diversity. They bring different gifts. So some of them, now all of them have to at least have a good understanding of the word of God. But not all of them may publicly communicate that. Some of them, it is in the place of one-on-one -on -one counseling. They bring biblically-based counseling to people. Are you following me? If there are wisdom in one-on-one -on -one settings, that, is the, that, that comes. Sometimes it is their fiduciary, maybe uh, wisdom as well. Praise the name of the Lord. Now, but now here's one thing that we shouldn't then miss out. We say all of them. Yes, the eldership leads the church, but usually within the eldership, an elder will lead the elders. The elders lead the church together, but there will be a pastor that would also lead the elders. Now, that pastor that leads the elders, that, leader, that elder that leads the others, and I hope this won't blow our mind, he is part of the eldership, he leads the eldership, and he's under the eldership. Mm -hmm. He's part of them. He's not above them. He's part of them. So when they meet together, if they are voting on something, he has one vote, and they have what? One vote. It's not like United Nations, as Fela said, one vote is equal to 92, or more, or more. It's not, do you understand? One vote, he's part of the eldership. Now, but he, 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 he leads the eldership, like he drives certain things there, right? He, he, he still in some ways shepherds the people there because the pastors also need a pastor. But at the same time, he is under the eldership. In other words, they can fire him. So that keeps him accountable. Are we following? Now, the reason for that is, so this is what some people have called a first among equals. And the reason for that, if you read the Bible, Jesus had 12 disciples. There were 12 apostles, isn't it? But you knew that in the 12, there were three. And you knew in the three, there was one. Who was that? Peter. So on the day that of Pentecost, it was Peter that spoke. All the words, Peter, Peter, Peter. Then at some point, if you go to the book of uh, the, the, uh, the church of Jerusalem, when they met in Acts chapter 15, people spoke, Paul spoke, Peter spoke, blah, blah. James now got up and James now said, okay, so now here's my judgment. And it really doesn't make sense. Have you ever gone? There are very few that maybe work, but most times, just check any organization. They say they have three seats. Sorry about that. Are we together? I'll come back. Have you seen organizations where they, are, they say they have three CEOs? Usually, it doesn't last long. Have you seen kingdoms where they have two kings? Have you seen uh, 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 places where they have two presidents? It doesn't usually last long. So there is a way you can maintain plural leadership, and at the same time, you can still say, well, there's one that is leading there. And so that's why some people will say senior pastor, some people will say lead pastor. Are we following? If you have that plurality that is there. Now, finally, maturity. And this is where I'll spend a little bit more time. Elders must be mature. And maturity is what really, what is the maturity there? Maturity is what distinguishes them above others. 
They are distinguished by what we call exemplary qualities. Look at 1 Peter 5, verse 2 again, and verse 2 and 3. It says, to the elders, Peter says, to the elders, sorry, verse 2, be shepherds of God's flock, and he's speaking to the elders, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing, um, where am I? (laughs) Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being what? examples to the flock. That is, their life is worthy of imitation. Look at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7 again. He says, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you and do what? Consider the outcome of their way of life and do what? Imitate their faith. So when Paul now starts to give the a description of who the elder should be in verses 6 to 9. You know what he's telling Timothy? He's saying, Timothy, listen, before the church considers these people worthy of imitation, I'm sorry, to, uh, Titus. He said, Titus, see, listen, before the church considers these people worthy of imitation, you must consider them worthy of ordination. They must be mature. And so he now gives various ways. You can check it out. They must be mature uh, 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 personally. They must be mature socially. They must be mature doctrinally. They must be mature technically. Personally, that is, they must not be violent. They must not be overbearing. Not quick-tempered. I've heard of churches where the elders actually fought. I'm not joking. Hand, hand in hand. Thank God this won't, that won't happen here because all of you know who will win. Right? And then the, uh, they must be upright, disciplined, and self-controlled. That is personal stuff. Socially. They must be socially mature. Right? That is, it says they must be hospitable. They must be good husbands. They must be good fathers. Socially, they must be mature. Doctrinally, they said that they must hold firm to the, to the, what, to the, um, to the, and, and they must, uh, is yes, well, well, I don't know why. I'm, must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught, so that they can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. That is, they can spot what is bad and they can use what is good and encourage people. They must, they must distinguish themselves in that way. So personally, socially, doctrinally, but at the same time as well, they must be technically. So they must hold on to that good message, but they should be able to apply the good message as well. They must distinguish themselves. And it's because of that distinction, when we are looking for elders in city church, there are four C's that we look at. They must distinguish themselves in their character, in their competence, in their uh, 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 commitment, and in their chemistry. Character, that is their moral character and social character. Their competence, that is their ability to do specific things. It's not just somebody that has a good heart, but can actually not know how to read a budget. And say, hey, we can just spend on this, God will provide, kind of nonsense. But also their, um, their commitment. It is possible that you have the right character, you have the right competence, but you know, you're in church today, we don't see you another three weeks, then you come again today and two weeks after, we don't see you. Like, you don't have the ability to give the commitment maybe at that season. But chemistry as well, that is chemistry among the others. That is, it's not that you will come in here and everybody will just be praying for, I hope this guy doesn't make the next leadership meeting. It's true. So they must distinguish themselves in these things. And I do believe that God has given us some of those kind of leaders. Now, up until now, I've functioned as the lone elder whilst we had a transitory uh, uh, structure in place where I had a leadership team who functioned in a sort of pseudo-eldership, but none has been ordained whilst I'm also under a management team of external pastors. 
But by God's grace, we are going to ordain a few of them after they've gone through the process towards the end of this year. I thought we'd clap for that. And it's a, it's, a, it's a process, forget, it's not about friendship or anything, it's a process, right? It's a, an eight-step process, if I remember, it starts with nomination, then you, uh, nomination, discussion, uh, uh, observation, preparation, examination, uh, uh, confirmation, then ordination, and of course, the celebration, right? And so, in fact, some, uh, one person that would have thought that would want to go through the process actually has said, no, I don't think I can commit at this point to actually go through the process. So there's not going to be two people. I will announce that and we'll pray for them later. So that's all for the elders. And somebody is saying here now, eh, what about me? Who is not called to be an elder? I just came to church. What about me? I, what, what is all of this one for me? Well, first of all, if you belong to this church, this actually matters to you because these are the people that will lead you. But actually, it does apply to you because I want to ask all of us here now, how have you distinguished yourself? in your sphere of influence? How have you distinguished yourself in your sphere of influence? Some of us will say, I am not an elder. I don't have any ambition to be an elder. I don't want to be a pastor. Okay, fine. But you are a Christian. And as a Christian, you must distinguish yourself. Can I tell you about somebody who distinguished himself? He was not a pastor. He was not an elder. He wasn't even in synagogue. He's a guy called Daniel. Daniel. Have you ever heard of Daniel in the Bible? Daniel, who was Daniel? Daniel was what the British would call a Mandarin. He was a top civil servant. A top civil, not just, you know, when we think about civil service in this country, may God help us. May God help us. For all the civil servants here, may God distinguish you. But, but when we think about civil service, we think about getting to work at 10. When we think about calling the IT people to go and help you buy uh, Akara and um, Yam, even though that Akara, Yam and sauce, that thing can be sweet. There's one around them. Um, Freeman House, they used to sell in Freeman House. I'm telling you, that thing, it will scatter your head. You... Now, but they'll go and tell the IT people, then after they've done that, they'll not gist and everything, then it's around 1.30, they'll just go home. That's how we think about it. Daniel was not that kind of person. Daniel, how do we know it wasn't that kind of person? Daniel served three kings, and those three kings were not even his fellow country men. In fact, two of them, it was two different empires. Two, uh, two kings in Babylon, and then when the Persians came and defeated the Babylonians, then he now served the king of Persia as well. Why didn't he say you are part of the enemies? Because he saw that this guy is useful. Listen to what he says about Daniel in Daniel 6 verse 3. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his what? Exceptional qualities. I don't like NIV. KJV puts it better. Because he had what? An excellent spirit. There was something excellent about him that distinguished himself. He distinguished himself as a leader. You see, the leaders that we're talking about, all Paul was telling that uh, Titus was this. All those qualities should be in every believer. But he's saying that the leaders, what do they do? They distinguish themselves because they perform at a high capacity in those things. Daniel had an excellent spirit that made him now function in a high capacity in all that he did. And therefore, he was distinguished. Because most times we settle for, at best, averageness or at worst, mediocrity. What is evidence and mediocrity? It is the way you behave that makes you just part of the crowd. And when you are just part of the crowd, guess what? You are not what? Distinguished. So you have to distinguish yourself. Now, somebody then says, ah, eh, but I don't have exceptional qualities. I don't have exceptional, I don't have exceptional qualities to become a leader of people. 
I'm here to help you. You know the solution for not having the, um, uh, the exceptional quality that will make you a leader. Do you know what the solution is? Is leadership. So you say, um, Pastor, sorry, that's called secular reasoning uh, because you started with uh, my friend, we, we went to school, please. The solution, you need leadership to distinguish yourself to become a leader. I said, well, but that doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense if you are thinking about leadership in one way. You see, you are thinking about leadership as leadership of people. But do you know that the foundation of all leadership is not leading people, it is leading yourself. So you leading myself, yes. The first call that we are all called to, that's why we are all called to be leaders, we are first meant to lead ourselves. And say, so, are you serious? Why is that? Have you ever read Psalm 42 and Psalm 43? Three times, this is what the psalmist says. He says, my soul, why are you downcast? Why are you so disturbed within me? He's talking to himself. He didn't have mental illness. You know what he's doing? He's questioning himself. What is going on? And then he gives himself an instruction. He says what? Put your hope in God. I will yet. Ah, I thought you were talking exactly. He's talking to himself. I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. What is he saying? He's saying I am downcast. I'm in a particular position, but I choose not to be. I lead myself. And it is when you lead yourself if properly that you can lead people effectively. What is in discipline? In discipline is that yourself is trying to lead you in a bad place and you two you are following. You're a bad follower. What are you meant to do? My soul, come this way. Many times we just give in to, eh, I was feeling a little bit like this. I was feeling, no, what we must do is to lead ourselves. When we lead ourselves properly, we will lead it, uh, uh, others what? Effectively. Once you are the kind of person that leads yourself properly, do you know what happens? People start to know you. She's there on time. She delivered on time. She gave a particular, the, the work that she gave. Wow, this is a bit exceptional. Because she had put things in place to make her what? Exceptional. She led herself. Are you following me? That is why, listen, what is the most important decision anybody can make in this life? It's a leadership decision. The most important decision any of us can make in this life is a leadership decision. You know what we decided? We decided to lead ourselves, not to become a leader. We lead ourselves to become a follower, a follower of Jesus. Yes, Jesus was sacrificed for us. Yes, the gospel has been preached. Yes, it has been brought to you. But eventually, you must lead yourself to say, I am a sinner. He died for me. He loves me. And I put my faith in him. We lead ourselves to become a follower. And when we do that, he now eventually makes us leader of people. The same Jesus says, follow me. Lead yourself to follow me. And I will make you what? fishers of men. If you lead yourself by following Jesus and you lead yourself while following Jesus, Jesus will lead you so that you can lead other people. Follow me and I will make you what? Fishers of men. The reason why many times we are complaining, why didn't we get this thing? Why didn't we get that? At the heart of it, rather than be jealous of people and how they're working, look at yourself. How well are you leading yourself? I was late the other day. You blame not yourself, but you blame what? Traffic. But if you led yourself knowing that there is always, this is Lagos. You know, um, traffic in Lagos is the most open secret in the world. You know that. But many times we don't lead ourselves to create the margin to actually be exceptional. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, I will lead myself. Guys, listen, the vision that we have for this church 
It requires an army of leaders. To say that we want to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews the city of Lagos. Ah, how many are we? But if you have a group of leaders, let me tell you, I care less about the number of congregants that we have than the number of leaders that we have in this church. I care less about number. Don't get me wrong, go. We want more people to come. But I tell you this, you will achieve far more as a church with 200 leaders than you will if you had 2,000 followers. Leaders more than 10x their ability. Are you following me? If you don't believe this, listen. Israel were in trouble. They were under the oppression of Midian. Over and over, Midian was crushing them, doing many things. Then at some point, Midian just wanted to finish them. So they went and called the Amalekites. At least almost close to about 150,000 Midian soldiers. And then they brought the Amalekites, we don't even know how many. They said the number of their camels was like the sand on the seashore. And Israel was so small. So God sent them a prophet. And then the prophet eventually led to God calling a leader. And he said, I will use you to defeat Midian. I said, who? Me. He now gave God the number of tests that show me. So God showed him that test. He acceded to it. So at some point, God now said, Gideon, call out people that are going to fight into this army. He blew the trumpet. All the people came. And he said, we're going to fight. You know how many came? 32,000 of them. Ah, that was a problem because these people are well over, I don't know, hundreds of thousands, 32,000. But maybe if we strategize, we put, you know, maybe there's a way we can. Well, God said, these people are too much. And then Gideon's like, is that God? Because I'm not sure, you know, because it's 32,000, you know. God said, see, first, ask any of them, who is afraid? Who is afraid? You know, because sometimes when you hear the trumpet, everybody's like, come on. Then the trumpet now went. You know, like the adrenaline, there's no bedroom again. Like, ah. And I said, so he said, if you are afraid, ah, you know, go back. You know, I said, ah, you know, it's not that you said it, eh? You know what? There's somebody that I need to go and see. 22,000 of them went back. Out of the 32,000, 22,000, 10,000. Gideon's like, hey, God. God, how will I do this? Okay, but 10,000, if we, God now says, it's not enough. It's too much. Ah, it's still too much. He now said, take them to a stream. And he says, let them drink water. The people that drink water like a dog, like they bend and they start lapping. He said, they're not part. Then the people that actually just go down on their knees also, they're not part. So Gideon now told all of them, well, yeah, do it. And then some people are just lapping, lapping like dogs. Some of them didn't lap like dogs. Some of them went on their knees. But there were some people that then took the, they bent, took the water in their hand, and they now drank it. And after when God now had to devour it, the people that messed up, 9,700. And then there were now 300 left. And Gideon is looking. God said, out of with this 300, I will deliver Midian into your hands. Do you know why? Because one, yes, it is the God that is backing. But two, the people that went home, well, people, God was saying, these people have failed to lead themselves. They have not actually trusted in me to know that they don't need to fear. I am the only one that they should fear. So they have not come to that place. They've not spoken to themselves. Let them go. These other ones are so indisciplined that if you go into war and you quickly just bend like this, before you grow it, your, your enemy has already come to attack you. So I need disciplined people. I need spiritual people. With those people, even though they are 300, I will deliver Midian into your hands. Listen, guys, 
the, the vision that we have for this church, yes, it is a big vision. It's a mighty vision. But I have seen the power of leadership. We are already, using, we are already having a disproportionate effect in across many people. The number of people that view us, the number of people that write to us. Why? Because there is a mantle of leadership in this church. And I pray for all those who are going through a place of self-indiscipline. May the Lord release upon you that spirit of leadership. You will achieve far more. Leadership always accelerates things. But what I'm saying is this. You say, but who are those leaders? You are a leader. Lead yourself first. The mantle that God has put upon you as a Christian, he has given you a certain amount of an advantage. And he's saying, if only you will follow me. How do you follow me? Lead yourself to follow me. Stop being indisciplined. You will accomplish a whole lot more. This thing, we are so passionate about it because you know this. We are doing something today. See, we are seven emphasis that we use to build the culture of this church. Help me. Worship, community, learning, mission, justice, prayer, generosity. It just became it. Leadership. Because leadership ties all of those things together. The truth is this. You cannot do a worship service well without leaders. You cannot have community well. It's not just people just come together. There are people that have thought about this. You need leaders. You cannot do learning if people don't study and give themselves leadership to do those things. You need leaders. You cannot do justice and mission properly if there are not people that are going ahead. You need leaders. You cannot pray if you don't tell yourself, even though I'm feeling this way, you need leaders. You cannot be generous if you don't tell yourself, this money does not belong to me. It belongs to somebody else that needs it. You need leaders. May the Lord make us leaders in this church. Distinguish yourself. Mediocrity is the thing that says, which can remain of it and I can do what I like. I bind that spirit of mediocrity in this place. Oh, make us leaders, oh Lord. I'm going to close with this. Why do they do it? Why do they do it? Because someone was saying, who would want to be an elder? Who really wants to be a leader? It's too difficult. It comes with hassles. And many times I don't even have good examples to follow. Have you not seen many of the scandals? It just seems like when somebody becomes a leader, that's when all of a sudden the temptations come. Why would anyone want to do it? And I tell you the truth. Leading is not easy. It's not. It's not just pastoring, but I can talk about pastoring because that's what I do. But it's not easy. Many people think that, think that it comes with perks. Maybe there are some perks. Actually, there are some perks. But it comes with a lot of heartache. See, the writer of Hebrews, in Hebrews 13, 17, he says something to the, to the congregation. He says, have confidence in your leaders. Do you know why he says that? Because many times, people will unfairly distrust you. No matter what it is you have done, they will unfairly distrust you. I'm not saying that there's no reason to distrust some leaders. Yes, but sometimes people do it unfairly. Sometimes he says, and submit to the authority. Do you know why he's saying that? Because many times people like to rebel against authority. And again, we should rebel against bad authority. But sometimes even when good authority is there, you are always questioned every step of the way. And you will have that also in your organizations if you step up to the plate in leadership. It isn't easy. It can become a burden. That's why it says, because they keep watch over your souls as those that must give account. Do this so that their work will not be a joy, that work will be a joy, not a burden. There's a burden that comes with leadership. Inside and outside the church, 
So why do it? Let me tell you two reasons. The first reason is this. There is a reward for it. There is a reward for it. Particularly godly leadership, there is a reward for it. Look at 1 Peter 5 verse 2 again. It said, the shepherd of God's flock that is under your care. Be examples to the flock. When you do all of these things, listen to what he said. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never what? Fade away. Can I say to all the gospel community leaders, because of the sacrifice that you paid, to all the unit leaders, right, the sacrifice you paid, to all the musicians, to all of those who have decided to lead themselves in this church so that people can hear the gospel of Christ, your reward is secure. The Lord will reward you. That's why Paul says later, he says in two, uh, uh, Timothy 4 verse 7 to 8, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have long disappeared. Do you see what Paul is saying? He's saying that we, you can stake the, the, the surety of receiving your reward on the integrity of God. If God does not reward you for your good leadership, he is not God or he's not righteous. And if he's not righteous, he's not God. God will reward you. Every pain, every tear that you have, every feeling, every bad feeling, every mistrust that you may have experienced, God will reward you. That's the first thing. But if you say, I don't have a good example, ah, while we may be inspired by many leaders, the truth is this. Elders are shepherds of and examples to God's flock, not their flock. I would like to say that you guys are my flock, but I don't also like blasphemy. In Titus 1, it says, be overseers, manage what? The household of God. It's God's own people. God was the one that bought them. And that's why, even though we are shepherds, we are shepherds under the chief shepherd. Even though we are overseer, there is an overseer of the overseers. And he is the one, ultimately, that we, do, we get our inspiration from. There's a passage that tells us about this. It's still 1 Peter again, 1 Peter 2. He says that when in the worst condition we were, we didn't, you see, your indiscipline to not come on time, all of those things, they are all manifestations of a greater indiscipline. The worst form of indiscipline is when our hearts wander away in sin. 1 Peter 2 verse 24 says, He himself bore our sins in the body on the, tree, on, on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed for you were like what? Sheep going astray. The ultimate failure of leadership is our wandering hearts that wander away from the truth of God. But God himself knew that we cannot, in this regard, lead ourselves to him. We can't lead ourselves to salvation. And so go back to verse 24. Again, what did he do? He himself, what? Bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. When that is in place, go to 25. The people that have wandered away, they don't now wander back or return to their pastor. They don't return back to the overseers. Who do they do? They return now to the shepherd and the overseer of what? Their souls. Guys, if you're a shepherd, the reason why you should be a shepherd is because there is a shepherd of shepherds. He has not left you alone. If you're an overseer, whatever you are managing, there 
there is an overseer, a bishop, an overseer of our souls. You are not what? Alone. And this same Jesus is the one that gives us help. You will get a reward, but you are not without help. He will give us that help today. Shall we rise to our feet? Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church. Love Jesus. Love people. Love Lagos.